All right, we're gonna start in Psalm 139, just picking up from where we left off last week. If you were here last week, you will remember we spoke on the, the, on called, the title of the message was called Defined by Truth. And we looked at the life of, of Gideon, how he was found in a wine press, but God spoke truth to him. And it's quite interesting, Maggie brought it up in our, in our in community group on Wednesday. Gideon's name actually means valiant warrior. That's the, that's the meaning of his name. It actually means one who cuts down. And so his parents gave him that name, but here we saw him in the wine press, almost the opposite of it. And God came and he spoke truth. He called out who he was. He called out his identity. Whenever he said Gideon, he said, you are a mighty warrior. And so he calls out truth. He calls out gold in us. He calls out identity in us because he knows who we are. He knows the purpose for which he has created us. He knows our strengths when no one else knows it. He knows just everything that is wonderful and good about us. So in Psalm 139 verse 13, to 16, it says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. I want us to read another scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 to 28. It says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. And so here we see a conflict of interests between whom God has created us to be, the truth that He spoke over our lives, the truth that He embedded in our DNA. And here we see the world which seeks to dictate to us who we should be. The world seeks to, like I said, there's, there's a, according to verse 26, it says, according to worldly standards. And so the world sets a standard. It says, if you are successful, you must be, have done X, Y, and Z. If you want to be honored, you must have done X, Y, and Z. If you are beautiful, you must look like this and you must look like that. If you want to be full of strength, you must look like this and you must do this and you must. It sets up a standard that is actually in contrast and in conflict, in conflict to what God has spoken over us. And so the world seeks to dictate our identity to us. And the problem is that when we don't line up, and it's just like, there's such a pressure. There's such a pressure that this standard of the world puts in us, like, it's a, like, it's a, like none of us were wise, none of us were noble, none of us were strong, none of us were perfect. It's just constantly this bombardment of you're not good enough. 
I mean, I don't know if you guys read that story. It was, was Miss America, I think it was. She won Miss America, beautiful girl, had everything. A couple of months after winning Miss USA, she jumped out of a window and committed suicide. I mean, you, you see, these, we hear the stories, these guys who are billionaires, they have everything, committing suicide. Family is falling apart. There's, 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 such a, there's a standard of the world that it's dictating to mankind and everyone's just in this whole rat race, you know, just trying to get up to the standard trying to make myself fit in, trying to make myself relevant, trying to make myself conform so that people can look at me and say, wow, look at him, he's wise. Look at him, he's noble. Look at him, he's strong. And so what we do is we, we seek to find appeasement. We seek to find praise from man instead of from God. And it's a trap. You, it's like, you think, you think that's the standard. You get there, and it's just like, okay, there's another standard. And you get there, and there's another standard. And you get there, and there's another standard. It's like, it never ends. It's a dry, and then you can always see the nature of the demonic. See, the Father will call you. The demonic will drive you. It'll drive you. It'll pressure you. Even against your own convictions, even against your own moral integrity, even against your own character, you, it, it'll push you to do things you don't want to do because I don't want to be unpopular. I don't want to be the weird one. I don't want to be the misfit. I don't want to stand out like the sore thumb. But guess what? God's not looking for us to be relevant. He's looking for us to be Jesus. It's okay to be different. It's okay to not fit in. It's okay to be the weird Christian girl or the weird Christian guy who just sits at break and reads their Bible or sits in their lunch break and reads the Bible, who's always praying for people. That's okay. I mean, we live so much for this earthly reward of the praise of man. when our heart should be living for the praise of the Father. And when we, when, we can, when we can die to that, when we can die to the fear of Him, when we can die to the pressures of society, when we can die to the standard of the world, that's when we really become alive. That's when we really begin to live. And that's when we really be, begin to become the truth of who we are. And so we can, you, can, you, you cannot be in both camps. You can't have one foot in, I'm trying to fit into the world standard and one foot in the kingdom. I'm trying to be who God told me to be because those two kingdoms will always be in conflict. Jesus even said himself, what, what fellowship does light have with darkness? God said of himself, God is light and in him, there is no darkness at all. And so I wanna encourage you this morning, don't be defined by worldly society. Whatever that looks like, whether that's peer pressure, I know this is, I was gonna say it's probably more relevant to the younger people, but it's actually not. 
It's very relevant to everybody. Wherever you go, there's a pressure. Don't be defined by the world. Romans chapter 12. Verse two says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. I read again, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of the mind. That word to be conformed, it means to, to conform oneself, in other words, to fit in, to change your mind and to change your character according to another's pattern. I'll say it again, to conform oneself, one's mind and character to another's pattern. And so the world seeks to put us in a mold, seeks to put us, it's like, if you've ever, I've never done it, but if you have ever done baked like cookie men, right? Little men, gingerbread men that look like cookies, right? There's a little thing. What's that thing called? I don't know. A cookie cutter, there we go. <laughs> There's a cookie cutter. And so that's what the world does. It's just like cut, 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 cut. And it makes everyone look the same. And so what it does is as the world moves, that, that, that cutter changes shape and say, okay, now homosexuality was, was like taboo, but now it's okay. So let's change the shape of that cookie cutter. Cut, 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 cut. And now we can all just be whoever we want. Cut, cut, cut. You know, believe whatever you want. Do whatever you want. Cut, cut, cut. And people are being conformed to the standard of the world. The Bible in Jesus actually said, it's quite scary. He said that, the, that, that Satan is actually the prince of this world. And so he's the one with the cookie cutter. And there's this conveyor belt of people just going through life. And he's like, cut. And we're like, cut. And he ch we change shape. We, it, literally, we change our mind. We change our character. We change our beliefs about whatever that shape dictates to us. The shape says, everyone must have purple hair. Boom, it's like, Barbie, right? Now it's like everyone's got pink hair and it's like pink's this and da-da-da and like, man, don't watch that movie. I haven't watched it, but I've heard it. It's just weird. It's like super liberal, super demonic. Not Barbie, the movie. <laughs> but again, it's, it's just like you, you see the reaction from that. It's like now everyone wants to be Barbie. Everyone wants to be Ken. Everyone's wearing, like you got... I'm not against colors, pink, obviously, but you've got guys coming to, as Jonathan was saying, at Vega, you've got guys coming with like bright pink and they've got pink hair and all these things. Why? Because it's the fashion, it's the new standard of the world. And the thing is, when we don't conform, when we jump off that conveyor belt and we don't allow ourselves to be cut into that cookie, the rest of the cookies will stand up and they will mock you. Oh, look, you're just a lump of dough. I mean, you know, and, and the world will persecute us for not looking like them, for not believing what they believe, for not having the, the attitude of the mind that they have. But Jesus doesn't seem to care about that. God doesn't seem to be care about that, caring about that. And you can almost hear the tone of his voice. He says, do not 
be conformed. It's like, it's an imperative, it's a direction. It's not a, hey guys, I really think maybe, you know, just try, don't look like them, don't do what they say. No, it says do not, it's a command. Do not be conformed to this world. And what he tells us is instead of to be conformed, he says we need to be transformed. That word transformed is the word metamorphosis. And so we've all done the whole thing in school, right? The caterpillar to the butterfly. Yes, no, okay. It's only a metamorphosis example I have from school. And so we know it's the, the story of the caterpillar. You start out in the caterpillar, they, they, they go to this cocoon and suddenly they come out butterflies. And there's a total change in the nature of this bug, the nature of this insect, whatever you wanna call it. And so when we look at that, when we look at our lives, when, we, we, when we're in the world, we're like these caterpillars, we're just hanging on the leaves, munching, you know? it's just like, whatever, you know, the wind blows us, or we go into the next tree, it blows us to the next tree. And we just sit in our lives, just going through the motions, going through the motions. But there's a transformation that takes place through the gospel. There's a transformation, what it takes, there's a, there's a transformation and it starts in the renewing of the mind. But it's a transformation that takes place by truth. And so I come in, I come into this kingdom as a caterpillar, but then I slowly begin to, 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 to know Him, to know His Word, to know His Holy Spirit, and He begins to transform me. He begins to change. There's a problem if you've been saved for a long time and you still look and still do and still think and still act like you did before you got saved. Something's not right. Where there is salvation, there is change. There has to be. And I'm not, not putting there's a condemnation on you, but just to check yourself. Am I this guy? Am I still trying to conform or have I let it go? Donovan sang that song this morning. You can have it all, Lord. And that's, that's all, the, all our dignity, all our pride, all our desires to be accepted in the world. We give it all up to be conformed or to be transformed into the image of His Son. And so everything that you think you are, those thoughts that you have about yourself that are not found in the book of truth, they need to be discarded and replaced with truth. I'll say it again. Everything that you think you are, those thoughts that you have about yourself that are not found in the Word. If you, if you wake up in the morning and you look at yourself in the mirror and you think something about yourself and you've never read that thing in the Bible, transformation needs to happen. We can't afford to have one thought about ourselves that He doesn't have about us. We have to constantly be transformed to truth, constantly be defined by truth. John chapter 15, verse one to three, it says this, I am the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser. 
Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Verse three, already you are clean, that word is, is again the same word, pruned, because of the word that I have spoken to you. And so when we abide in Jesus, when we abide in his word, when we hold the word up as a mirror before us, it will challenge us. It'll challenge our thought process. It'll challenge our identity. It'll challenge our desires. It'll challenge our values of who we think we are as he reveals to us who we really are. And verse three tells us that he does this by truth. Jesus prunes, the Father prunes us. The Father molds us. See, the devil's, the devil's got this cookie cutter and he just forces it. He pushes it down and says, you will be like this. But the Father molds us by the way He speaks. The Father molds us through the promises of the Word. The Father speaks and we change. The Father speaks, it's like Adam, and, it's like Adam right? Formed from the dust of the earth. That's what He does. He forms us, He molds us. As He speaks over us, we are changed into His nature. We are transformed, 2 Corinthians chapter three, we are transformed into the image of Christ from one degree of glory to another. And so as we look at truth, the Father comes to prune and he he challenges us on thought processes. He challenges us on attitudes. He challenges us on identity issues. And he'll point out and say, you thinking, you can bring a scenario before him and you say, why are you thinking about that thing according to worldly standards? Why is your heart in, in conflict with this person? Because that's the standard of the world. Why are you acting like this? Because that's the standard of the world. And so he'll constantly, it's just like, it's guaranteed. He will, he will never leave you in that state. He will never leave you looking like the world. He will always, there's always this constant process of transformation by truth. In Hebrews chapter four, verse 12, it talks about how the, 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 the word is the sword of the spirit. And it says this, it divides between that which is soul and that which is spirit. And so the realm of our soul, that's our, our mind, our emotions, that's our thinking, it's the, the seat of consciousness. And so what our, our soul does as it interacts with this world around us, it seeks to overshadow our spirit man, the born again part of us. And it seeks to influence that part. And so whatever the world tells me, if my, Jesus said like this, your, your eyes are the windows to your soul. And so that which I'm seeing, that which I'm hearing, that which I'm entertaining, my soul picks up and tries to be in ascendancy over my spirit man. Does that make sense? To what my born again state is, tries to be in ascendancy over truth. And so, this is just my opinion. I don't think the father prunes with shearers. I think he prunes with a sword. He prunes with the sword of the word. And everything that he sees that is of this world, he cuts it off. Why, not to hurt us, but to transform us, that we may bear more fruit. As we look on in this, John chapter eight, verse 32. Or let's read from verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth 
and the truth will set you free. I read again verse 32, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Let me read one more scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And so there's power in truth. There's power in the gospel. That when we give ourselves to it. Jesus says, if you abide in my word, as we abide in his word, as we spend time with him, as we spend time in his word, we give truth the ability to bring liberty to our lives. Galatians chapter four, verse 13. Let me read it quickly. Verse three says, in the same way, we also, when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. And so the world offers counterfeit truth. And the truth that it offers is that you can do whatever you want to do, whatever's right for you, that's right. So you can do whatever is right for you and you can be whatever is right for you. And what they don't know, like we said, is that they're actually just being cookie cut. There's a puppet master that's dictating the seasons of the world. There's a puppet master that's dictating the standards of this world. And so what truth does is it cuts the string. You will know when you are unsaved, it's like those things that you knew were wrong and you wanted to stop doing them, you couldn't stop. You just, you were led by your desires. You were led by your passions. And whatever was popular, whatever the latest drink was, whatever the latest drug was, you just did it. Why? Because there was a master puppet dictating and people tell you, no, that's freedom. I have freedom to choose to take drugs. I have freedom to choose to drink if I want to. I have freedom to sleep around if I want to. But there's no freedom there. Only freedom, only liberty, true freedom comes through truth, through nothing else. And so when we engage in truth, and so this is the power of the gospel, is I, is, I, is I come as this caterpillar, right? And I'm being transformed into this image of Christ. I'm being transformed into this butterfly, but I still have these caterpillar tendencies. And so everything else is going well. My attitude's good. My, my, I don't swear anymore. I don't smoke anymore. But there's still this little thing and I'm still, I'm still lustful. You know, whenever I see a woman walk down the streets, I'm like, I know I'm not supposed to look, but I look anywhere. And so there's these little things that I can't break off, that I can't get rid of. And the world will offer you 10 steps to being free from looking at the girl or 10 steps to stop smoking. And then or you'll go see the guru, you know, and he'll tell you, yeah, you must do, fold your leg like this and do this, put your fingers like this, and then you will be free. None of those things can set you free from that little tendency the Bible calls it the, the, the sins that so easily entangle us. The little things that, are, that seek to hang on to us, that seek to accuse us. And so you think you're a butterfly, but you still act like this. 
You still think like this. This is where truth comes. Only truth can set you free. Only truth can set you free from an addiction. Only truth can, can set you free from those things which are not of the Father. There's power in the gospel. There's power in truth. And Jesus said, abide in my word. Abide and consume this book. Let it become your life. Let it be, let it be the, the very breath that you breathe, the, the, the food that you eat. Let it consume you because when you do that, that's abiding. He says, when you abide, when you do that, you will know truth. And then truth will set you free. But if I don't abide, if I don't know truth, I'll never be free. Your freedom is sitting on your lap right now. I'm not talking about the mothers in the baby room. I'm not talking about your baby. I'm talking about your Bible. We strive for freedom. But the answer is right there in front of us. And we do all these things, but we neglect the one thing that's necessary. And we just put it on our bedside table and we sit on our beds and worry about all these things that are going wrong in my life and how I keep getting stuck in this cycle of dating the wrong girl or dating the wrong guy. Or... But your freedom's right next to you. Take hold of this transformational power of truth and let it define you. And so here's the thing. We know this is true. We know that the, that, that the Bible, that truth conforms, transforms us, that truth changes us, that truth molds us. And so while we are undergoing this process of being transformed into this butterfly, the puppet master himself is still on the other side. He's not gonna stand there and go like, well done, I see you being transformed into the image of Christ. He's gonna seek to pull you back. And so he begins to seduce us back into our worldly identity because he wants to control us again. We, we, we were his slaves, we were his puppets. His every command we did. And now where Christ has liberated us, He wants us back. And this is a very real reality and we've seen it even in this house where people will go back to being like, walk out on Florida Road, there they are. Dropkick Murphy's having a drink, getting, not just having a drink, getting toasted, smoking weed, back with their old friends. What happened? They were seduced by the puppet master. As they were being transformed, he was pulling them back. And what they did is they forsook their identity that Christ gave them and they put back on their old identity. They put back on the identity of the world, that which they were released from. And so besides the pressure of society to conform, there's another trick that he has. 
and it's called condemnation. See, condemnation, it's not just, condemnation doesn't just come so that we feel bad. It doesn't just come that we feel sorrowful. It has a greater intent than that. Condemnation has a greater goal. First of all, it seeks to become our identity. So I'm walking in this journey with God and, uh, and I mess up, condemnation comes knocking on my door and says, you're not good enough. You're not worthy enough. You can't ever be who he says you'll be. We're like, oh gosh, you're right. What we do in that moment, we take off our godly identity and we put on the identity of condemnation. And if we allow condemnation to sit on us, and this is where the, the people that I'm talking about that we see in Florida Road, this is why they allowed condemnation to take them back to the world. See, condemnation is a liar, such a liar. It's like he'll, he'll come and he'll, he'll sit with you and say, I know God forgave you last time, but oh, this is like the fifth time now. I know His mercies are new every morning, but that's Old Testament. I think this time He's angry with you. You know why you're not hearing His voice properly? Because He's silent. He doesn't want to speak to you. He's turned His face away from you. And He comes with all these little seductive lies, these, these things to seduce us away from the Father. And in that moment, we, we, we begin to turn our face away from the Father. And He says, you know, why don't you just go back and do what you did before? They accept you. You were good in the world, man. You could down like two beers in, in 20 seconds. You, you go to church, they just, they just judge you. you. You'll never be like them. They're all perfect. I know, you how many times I've spoken to people in this house who think everyone else is perfect? <laughs> That's crazy. Like so many people that I've spoken to, it's like everyone else is doing so well. They're all holy. They're all like, you know, this is, I just look at them. They're so righteous and they never do anything wrong. But me, I'm, it's like. <laughs> but condemnation will tell you, now they're doing it right, but you're not. Just, what's the point? Just, hey, come back this way. Come conform, come to the standard of the world. Find acceptance there. So condemnation is the lingering effect of disobedience that first of all seeks to become our identity and then secondly, directs us back to the identity of the world. So I want us to go to Luke chapter 15. Parable of the prodigal son. Luke chapter 15, verse 11 to 32. And he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. 
And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son, condemnation. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing and he called one of the servants and asked what were these things meant. And he said to them, your brother has come home and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and he is found. And so we see this young man. First of all, we must understand who he is. His identity is that of a son. Jesus states very clearly, the father had two sons. He identifies this young man. This is the son of the father. The young man makes a mistake. The greed of the eyes, or lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, Flesh, pride of life, goes to his father and says, Father, I just want all my inheritance right now. And he goes out and he goes on a spending spree. Goes to another town, drinks, drugs, prostitutes. Eventually he runs out of money. He sinned. He said to himself, Father, I've sinned before heaven and I've sinned before you. And guess who came knocking? Hi, I'm condemnation. Can I come in? Yeah, sure, why not? And he begins to reason with condemnation. He begins to converse with him. And he comes to this conclusion, he's, twice he says it, in such a short passage of scripture, I'm not worthy 
to be called a son. I'm just, just a servant now. Only thing I'm good enough for is to be a slave. His whole identity has changed from a son who knew his inheritance. He knew he was a son. He had a rightful inheritance, although he took it at the wrong time. He knew his rights as a son. He had the identity of a son. But here we see a man broken, completely lost the truth of his identity because condemnation has come upon him and condemnation has now become his identity. And so we have to understand the, the severity of what's actually happening here is that when he said to his father, Father, give me my share of the inheritance, what he's actually saying is, I wish you were dead because I want the money more than I want you. And when in that moment, when he, when he took that money, he cut off relationship from his father. He cut off relationship from, from his family. He cut off relationship from his village. He says, I don't want any part of you. And this is his condemnation. That's what, that's what condemnation, the feeling of guilt, the sentence handed down, the imprisonment, my just dues for what I did. I am guilty because I cut myself. I said to my father that I wish he was dead. Therefore, I no longer qualify to be his son. But here we see most, probably the most beautiful moment in the Bible, the response of the father, where it says he's waiting. I don't know if he waited every single day how did he know he was coming that day? But the father was waiting for the son to come back. And it says one day he saw him coming from afar and, and he picked up his tunic and he began, and he ran towards the son and the son had prepared this whole speech like, okay, I'm no longer worthy, I'll just be your slave. And the father interrupts him. And he doesn't, he doesn't go as the young man expects. He's expecting judgment. He's expecting punishment, my due condemnation for my guilt. But the father looks at him and he sees this young man carrying the identity of one who is now condemned. You can imagine he's, he's come from working in the, in the pigsty. If he didn't have money to buy food, he certainly didn't have money to buy clothes before he went home. His whole identity was one of disgrace and, and filth and, and an outcast. Even the world kicked him out. Even his friends kicked him out. But it says the father embraced him. The father hugged him. The father kissed him. And then he did something very, very significant. He calls to the servants. He says, bring these three articles of articles of clothing for my son. He says, first of all, bring the robe for my son. Then he says, bring the ring. And then he says, and then put sandals on his feet. And so when you look at the, the cultural context of those items, the robe was symbolic of dignity. 
It was symbolic, symbolic of honour. The father was saying to the son, I honour you. If you think of the story of Joseph, right? These 12 brothers, and, and who was Joseph's father? Jacob. Yeah, Jacob would honour Joseph over his brothers by giving him a robe, by giving him a coat of many colours. And so the father sees the son who has been taken on this identity of condemnation. And the first thing he does, he says, I honour you as my son. And he, and he clothes him. He clothes him. He covers his filth. He covers his shame. He covers his unworthiness and he gives dignity to him. The ring, it wasn't just an item of fashion. It was the signet ring. In other words, the ring of authority. If you think, especially in those days, the way they would enforce contracts or they would enforce laws, it's like, so particularly in this household, this, this farmer, and he has his two sons. And so if he wanted to enforce something as a law on his property, he would sign it with his signet ring. They would put wax on this. So he'll write something and say, you must do X, Y, and Z. And then he'll put wax in it and he'll put that signet ring and say, I, the father, the one in authority have proclaimed this. And so what he does is he comes and he puts that very ring on the son. You can imagine that when the son left, what did he do? Stuff you guys, I don't want any of this. And he walks away. But what does the father do when he comes back? Puts it back on. He restores his authority. Justification, right? Just as if I never sinned. What about the sandals? In Hebrew culture, the servants wore no shoes. Only the family wore shoes. And so this man comes, he's got no shoes on. He's taken on the image of a servant. He says, I'm just gonna be a slave. And so when the father looks at him and says, put the sandals on his feet, what he's saying is to him, I don't call you a slave. I call you a son. And so he walks back to the house. And you can imagine the, the gossiping in the house, the gossiping in the village. What is the father gonna do with this son? But they see him come back not as a slave, not as an outcast, not as a rejected one, but they see the identity, they see the image of a son. And so each one of these items are symbolic of truth. Truth of sonship, truth of acceptance. When he bought the robe, he declared truth over him. When he put on the ring, he declared truth to this young man. When he put on the sandals, he spoke truth to him. And truth transformed him 
back to his identity. Condemnation said, you are no longer worthy. But the truth of the Father said otherwise. See, God's method doesn't change. Whether we are born again and He's transforming us or whether we've slipped up and we're in condemnation, He will speak truth. He will declare truth and truth will change us because He knows the power of truth. We see it even with Peter, right? It's interesting that the Father brought three articles of truth to the young man when Peter messed up, remember that story with Peter, right? Peter, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Never, Lord. I love you. Oh, shucks. <laughs> Jesus finds him on the beach in condemnation, in guilt. I've forsaken my master. I left him when he needed me. And what did condemnation do? Took him back. Remember, that's where Jesus found him. What was Peter's identity before Jesus? A fisherman. Jesus worked with him. He transformed him. John 15, I've pruned you with my word. Peter, you, you know, heaven or flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my Father is in heaven. Condemnation comes. Wah! He takes on condemnation and he goes back to the world. He goes back to his old identity. But Jesus comes to restore him. And what does he do? How does he restore? He speaks truth. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Feed my lambs. What's that? That's his identity. That's his purpose. It's like the whole thing of Gideon again, calling out the gold in him calling out the destiny, calling out the purpose, calling out truth that he sees inside of Peter. Again, he says to him, Peter, do you love me? He says, of course, Lord. He says, tend my sheep. And he asks him a third time, Peter, do you love me? He says, Father, Jesus, you know that I love you. He says, feed my lambs. And it, just like the father with the prodigal son, he restores him with truth. So often we define our identity on our shortcomings and not on the truth of the Father's nature. I'll say again, so often we define our identity on our shortcomings and not on the truth of the nature of the Father. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, it says this in the Amplified, if we freely admit that we have sinned and confess our sins, He is faithful and just. Listen to this. True to His own nature and promises and will forgive our sins and cleanse us continually from all unrighteousness, our wrongdoing, everything not in conformity with His will and with His purpose. Psalm 103, verse three, he forgives all my sin. 
for the majority of Christians, even after we've asked God for forgiveness, we still sit with condemnation. Lord, we know, I know your Bible says, I come before you, Lord, I repent, and I ask for forgiveness. I thank you. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses me, and then I just go and sit, and I take on, for like weeks, and, and, I, and then I take on this identity of condemnation. What am I doing? Fix your eyes on Jesus. See, the problem is when we look at ourselves, that's what, that's what condemnation is. Like it just stews in your head. Oh, shucks, man. Why did I even go there? Lord, I just should have just stayed at home. One thing led to another. Oh, man. And then we start again. Oh, I shouldn't have gone there. I should have just stayed at home. One thing led to another. Let's do this quickly. Oh, man, I'm so stupid. Why did I go there? I shouldn't have gone there. And we just cycle this thing over and over and over in our heads. And, we, and, it, and it takes all our focus. It takes our, all our, our heart's affection. But he's, he's standing there and says, look at me. It's the father, the, the, the same father of the prodigal son. He's, he's running out to embrace us. He's running out to kiss us. He's running out to put a new robe on us. It's to put the ring and to put the sandals on us. See, it's in the nature of God to forgive. He can't deny himself. I read again, it's in the nature of God to forgive. He can't deny himself. Every single time we come to him in repentance, he forgives Every single time. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Here's from verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. Now the translation says, fixing your eyes on Jesus. That word fix means to turn the eyes away from other things and fix them on one thing. And so he's not looking at that mistake anymore. Why are you? We don't understand his nature. It's like we repent in a, just like out of religion almost. We don't actually believe what we're asking for. We ask for forgiveness and we think he's still gonna, we think he's still angry with me. And then something happens, something goes wrong, you know, tire pops on your car. Oh, it's because... God's angry with me. The Bible, it's, it's not like, I don't know. I think sometimes we take the Bible as poetry or like, just like, you know, nice words just to make us feel good. No? It says, he removes our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. In other words, they're traveling in opposite directions and they never come together. Not traveling up to the directions around the earth, 
through the universe. They never come together. He casts our sins, where? Into the sea of forgetfulness. It's the the father of the prodigal son. When we've repented, he doesn't see us as the son who disowned him. He doesn't see us as the Peter who, who denied him. He doesn't see us the one who disobeyed him, the one who sinned against him, the one who is worthy, the one who is filthy, the one who, who, who is just a heap on the ground of nothingness. He doesn't see that. And every single time when we approach him like that, he's gonna speak truth. He's gonna seek to define you. He's gonna come with the robe of truth. He's gonna come with the ring of truth. He's gonna come with the sandals of truth and say, this is not who you are. But we have to give him that opportunity to speak. He takes no pleasure in our self-pity. He takes no pleasure when we're beating, our, that's, that's religion for you. Oh, let me just beat myself up some more so I can be more holy. Let me persecute myself, persecute myself by my emotions. Some people even physically hit themselves so that I can be more like Him and I can experience true repentance and take Scripture out of context and share in the sufferings of Christ. What nonsense. Do you think the Father takes delight in that? Of course not. He's good. He's love. He's unchanging in his nature. And he always says, get up, get up, get up. Don't sit there, get up. Every single time, the Father, I've done it again. He says, get up. And he speaks truth. And he speaks life. And he speaks love. And he embraces and and he accepts us. Regardless of our mistakes. And so the truth is, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you are in Christ Jesus, in other words, if you are born again, there is no condemnation. You are not guilty. I don't know what it is you've done, I don't know what it is that you're holding on to. And then we hide it really well. Like here, everything's fine. Bless you, brother. Yeah, of course. But inside we, a heap on the floor. Guilt pushing us down. Father's here this morning. And he speaks over you and says, there is no condemnation. You are justified. You are righteous. You are holy. You are worthy. You are a son. You are a daughter. Somehow we think that he demotes us or he demerits us according to our performance as a Christian. And so silly because when we think in the natural, it's like 
you can move to another country. You can tell your parents, I don't want to be your son anymore. I don't want to be your daughter anymore. But sorry for you, that fact can never change. Biologically, you have the DNA of your parents. Like that you can run, like they can be in South Africa, you can go like all the way up to the North Pole to try to get as far away from them as possible. They will come and find you and they will trace you back to your parents by the hair on your head. It cannot change the fact that you're a son of your parents. And, and, but I don't know why we don't think that about God. Lord, yes, I was this, I was doing that, but now I did this and now I'm just gonna be something else. We demote ourselves, we demerit ourselves. But he looks over us and he says, you're still a son, you're still my daughter, and I still love you. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm going to close. If you struggle with condemnation, I want you to stand. Be brave. And I want to declare truth over you. There's something inside of you that keeps telling you you're not good enough, that you always fall short, that you're not worthy enough, that the Father's angry with you. This is your robe, this is your ring. These are your sandals this morning. This is truth, truth to set you free, truth to transform you, truth to bring you out of condemnation into the life of the Son. This is your truth. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are but dust. As for a man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind passes over it and it is gone and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love, the unchanging, the agape love of God, the steadfast love of the Lord for you is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him and His righteousness to children's children, to those who keep His covenant and remember to do His commandment. The Lord has established His throne in the heavens and His kingdom rules over all. He loves you more than you can ever imagine. And his love covers your mistakes, covers your weaknesses, 
He loves you with an everlasting love. And this morning, you stand as a son. You stand as a daughter. You stand as loved of the Father. That is who you are. And he will never, ever change that. No matter what you do, a thousand times over, he still says, you're my daughter. You're still my son. And I love you with an everlasting love. Let's just stay where you are. I want to pray over you, Father, that as we see truth, as we behold truth, that we would become truth. And so again, I declare over these, your people, I say, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I say it again, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we set your people free now, in Jesus' name. Thank you, you may be seated. Before we close, I wanna give an opportunity perhaps to someone who's sitting here this morning. We've seen the nature of the father in the, the parable of the prodigal son. And maybe you've run away from God. You've pursued the things of the world, all that the world has to offer you. And you think you're not good enough for him. You think that he'll never accept you. We see all the people, we see the Christians, we see the born again believers, but we feel that's not our portion, that's not our part because I'm just not good enough. And you say to yourself, when I stop doing this or when I start doing this, then I'll start coming to church more and, and then I'll make a commitment. But that's not the Father. The Father runs to you this morning and He embraces you and He loves you and He, and he kisses you and he's calling, and he's, to you, he's calling you and He's speaking truth over you. He wants to be your Father and He wants you to be His son, to be His daughter. And so I wanna give an opportunity to you this morning if you're sitting here Maybe you're here for the first time, maybe you've just come with someone, you come with a family member, you come by yourself, but you know in your heart that you're not right with Jesus Christ, that you are the prodigal son, you're out there in the world, and you know you need to come home to the Father. In John chapter 15, verse one, Jesus said, in my Father's house, there are many rooms. In the, fam the, the Father's family, there's lots of space for everybody. And there's space in the Father's house for you this morning. Jesus said, I've gone to prepare a place for you. He's made a way for you to come into the family of God, to come before the Father and to step into His truth that He has for your life. And so I'm gonna ask every eye to close. And if you're here this morning and you know that's you, you know you're not right with Jesus Christ. You know that you need to surrender your heart to Him, that you need to be born again. I'm gonna ask you to be very brave and to raise your hand in this moment if there is anybody here.
you a couple of seconds. Is there anybody here this morning? You need to give your heart to Jesus, even in the revival center. I'll ask you to do the same. We will be here after service. If there was you and you maybe just felt too shy or embarrassed, please come to the front and see me afterwards so that I can introduce you to your father and tell you about his love.